I think when we talk about justice and as we reflect on God's justice, it can be an uncomfortable thing for us to do sometimes. Because as we look at this world, we see that so, so often our level of justice has fallen below the bar of God's perfect justice. We can realize that we have been part of unjust systems or have benefited, even if indirectly, from injustice around the world. And so we can feel uncomfortable. And when we feel uncomfortable, it's easy to become defensive or to switch off or to compartmentalize these things and say that if certain injustices aren't part of our lived experience, then they must not be happening or are someone else's problem. You know, even as Christians, I reflect, and so often I take issues of justice and I compartmentalize them as political rather than theological and faith-based issues. Today, as we reflect on the justice of God, I really want to encourage us to stir up something within ourselves, allow the Holy Spirit to take hold and raise the bar of what we live for in terms of justice in this world. Because as we've begun to explore what the kingdom of God looks like, I've come to the realization that you cannot look at the kingdom of God and you cannot look at God as king without understanding God's justice. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 97 opens like this. It says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Justice is not a tangential part of who God is as king. Justice is at the very center of his kingship. And it's at the very center of his kingship because justice is at the very heart of who God is. The kingdom of God is just because the king is entirely just. And what does it mean to say that God is justice? You know, largely thanks to TV crime procedural dramas... I think our understanding of what justice looks like is often dictated by a picture of the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system is the way that we respond to other people doing things wrong. But you see, I think that God's justice has to be about much more than that. Because we're told in the Bible that God, his character is unchanging that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has existed since before anything else existed. So justice in his character has to be about more than responding to what other people do wrong. 
because God was just before there were other people to get stuff from. And as we look at the Bible, you might have seen in both of the extracts that I just read, the description of God's justice often goes hand in hand with a description of God as righteous. Righteousness and justice go hand in hand. And at their heart, what these terms mean is to have a quality of perfect and total good, divine, moral order. And when I say moral, I don't mean human morality, because as any of us who've been watching the news or see what's going on in the world will know, human morality is often changeable, malleable, open to interpretation, or sometimes just being outright ignored when we want it to be. God's morality is based on who he is. God's morality, God's justice, is about a total absence of anything wrong in either his character or his conduct. God is entirely good. In every fiber of his being, there is no blemish, no stain, no imperfection. That is what God's justice is all about. We see reflected in the early passages of Genesis, that when the God of justice made this world, this universe, he made it good. Genesis 2, verses 8 to 15, give a description of this early part of creation, where everything was how God intended it to be. It describes the Garden of Eden, and it says this, out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold." And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Isn't that a really beautiful picture? At the beginning, God made everything how he intended it to be. And we get that picture of, of perfect beauty, of a land full of gold. And just in case we weren't aware, that gold was good gold, as opposed to all the bad gold we find on the street. <laughs> God made creation just, perfectly good just like he is. Everything is in harmony, and everything is serving its purpose. The trees 
I love that it mentions that they were good to the sight. He put them there just because they looked beautiful, but also good to eat. And trees need water, so he made rivers of rushing water to feed the garden. Everything was how it should be. And when I read that description, I can't help but think that creation in that moment is declaring the beauty and glory and splendor of the king who made it. And then God took the man and he put us in the garden to work it and keep it. The word keep there literally means to watch over, to preserve, and to protect. God made creation full of justice. And when he made us, he gave us the joy and the responsibility of being part of preserving that justice. How are we doing on that? For just a brief snapshot of how we're doing on that, two of those rivers still exist on our maps today. Shall we see how they've been described recently? Because in 2007, the Tigris was described as a graveyard of bodies, a stagnant sewer, and full of pollution from oil, industrial, and military waste. The Euphrates, too, is struggling with pollution and recently was linked with cholera outbreaks in Syria when people have drunk from it. It, too, is struggling with pollution and perhaps most concerning of all, it's drying up. They're really worried that the river Euphrates might not be a river for much longer. These are rivers that were there in Genesis chapter 2 and on our watch might not be there anymore. Humanity, rather than embracing the beautiful purpose we were given to help protect and preserve the justice of God, the goodness of God in creation, we went our own way. We decided to do our own thing and to try and make our own kingdom. The issue with that is that while God is righteous and entirely good, who here can say that about themselves? I can't. When we've tried to go our own way, it hasn't turned out well. Even when we've had the best intentions, we haven't always got it right. Rather than protect the good order of creation, we broke it. If we want evidence that the kingdom of God has not yet been fully established in this earth, that we need the return of Jesus to set things right, to return creation to the good order of God, we only have to look around us and acknowledge the injustice all around the world. From the very first moment that we disobeyed God and went against his righteous order for the universe, humanity has been desperately trying to impose our own order back on the chaos. But we, we do really struggle sometimes to tell right from wrong. 
And that's why God, in the Old Testament, gave his people, the Jews, what we now call the Mosaic Law. These were rules and regulations by which a God who perfectly knew right from wrong was trying to help a people who did not know right from wrong to live in a right way. But I think even as God did that, he knew that we would struggle to put it into practice. I just want to read you a short passage from Deuteronomy uh, which covers God's instructions for appointing judges throughout the land. It says this, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is given you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was walking into court and I heard someone pull the judge aside before my hearing and say, look, mate, seriously, don't take a bribe today and make sure that you're not being biased. Make sure you're being fair. Serve justice and only justice. I think I'd be stood there and thinking, that seems like one too many reminders for this person whose whole job is upholding justice. God knew that even those in our society who we give the role of upholding justice, embodying justice amongst us, would struggle to tell right from wrong. And what's more, if we can't even live good, just lives ourselves, God knew that there was absolutely no way we would be able to restore creation back to the justice that he created it with. That's why we needed Jesus. Jesus who was God. And so in his very being, embodied that righteousness and justice, but who stepped down from heaven to live as a human and lived as the only human who had served the justice of God throughout his entire life. Imagine that every action, every deed that Jesus did was good and just. But while we often focus on the fact that Jesus lived an entirely right life, we sometimes neglect the fact that Jesus did way more than that. Because wherever Jesus went, he demonstrated what the justice of God really looks like. That is one way of seeing what Jesus is doing when he heals the sick. When he casts out demons from those who are oppressed... Wherever Jesus went, he demonstrated the justice of God through power and miracles. He welcomed those who were discriminated against. He stood up to and challenged corrupt authorities and systems of oppression. Wherever, wherever Jesus went, he didn't just live rightly for himself, but he demonstrated the justice of God through the power of the Holy Spirit for the rest of us. 
It included obeying the laws of Moses, but it also went beyond it because even they could not bring restoration to the justice of God. And so when Jesus died and rose again, he declared the ultimate victory of God's justice over all injustice and darkness in the world. He declared the victory of God's justice over death itself, which is the ultimate injustice. And because of his blood, he made a way that each of us can re-enter the kingdom of God and can live in the relationship with him that he always intended for us in the beginning of creation. Jesus has made a way for our restoration to justice. And he is the only way. Because our injustice does have a consequence. When we do things wrong, there is a consequence that follows. And Jesus is the ultimate judge. He's the one that doesn't need reminding to be impartial, doesn't need reminding not to take a bribe, because Jesus himself is justice. And therefore, he can perfectly tell right from wrong, can with perfect accuracy and certainty say what the consequence of our injustice is. And there is a day coming. We sang about it earlier in that song, Lion and the Lamb, where Jesus will return on the clouds. Every knee will bow down, and we will receive the judgment of the king. We see just a taste of Jesus' role in uh, providing judgment and justice in the book of John, chapter 8. Jesus comes across a group who are about to execute a woman uh, who's been caught in adultery. And the words used in this passage seem to suggest that she's been caught red-handed, so to speak. Guilt doesn't seem to be at question here. She's been caught doing it. And according to the laws of the time, the people were well within their rights to put her to death as a consequence of what she'd done. And Jesus comes across this group who to a certain extent would say they're not doing anything wrong. They're following the letter of the law. And yet Jesus responds by saying, let any of you who is without sin be the first to stone her. See, Jesus recognized as the ultimate judge that each of the people facing this woman were just as guilty of committing injustices in their own lives as she was. And therefore, none of them had the right to take her life from her. And when he says this one by one, the crowd of people fade away. And we're left with this scene of just Jesus and the woman. And according to the law of the time, and according to what he just said, Jesus was well within his rights to pick up a stone and begin throwing. Instead, he says this, 
Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He gives the woman another chance to get it right. A chance she doesn't deserve and a chance that the legal system of the time would not have allowed her. There is a day of ultimate judgment coming, but until that day, truly believe that we are given every possible chance and opportunity to turn away from our wrong ways and come back to serving the king of justice. And for all of us, it's never too late to do that. Because while in our society, we often put justice and mercy at opposite ends of a scale, where justice is about receiving the punishment you deserve for what you get wrong, and mercy is about being let off it, God's justice actually embodies both. I'm not going to stand here and pretend I understand how, but I know in the character of Jesus that he does. God's justice is accompanied by oceans of God's mercy. And so when we turn to Jesus and recognize him as our king, through his life, death, and resurrection, we receive the justice of God expressed through the goodness of God rather than through the punishment we deserve. Instead of punishment, we receive restoration. But even as we receive that mercy, we need to follow the command that Jesus gave that woman to go and leave your life of sin, to go and turn away from the unjust ways you've been living, to live in relationship with God again, and to return to that initial calling he gave us to preserve, protect, and watch over the justice that he intended for creation. And that means being uncomfortable. Because it means taking a long, hard look at ourselves and what we've done in the world and saying, yeah, these rivers were not created to be our sewers. These rivers were created to display the splendor and glory of the God who made water out of nothing and put them in creation. It means taking a look at the species of animals all around us, created to show the glory of God, the creativity of God, the majesty of God, and reflecting on how many of those species we've already lost as a result of human apathy or abuse through overhunting and poaching and much more besides. And it means looking at the species that are right now today on the verge of extinction and saying, do they not have a place in the good order of God's creation? And finally, it brings us onto the subject of how we treat other people. Because Genesis makes clear that all people were created in the image of God. And because we were created in the image of the king, we have value way beyond anything we could ever imagine. And yet rather than recognize, celebrate, 
and honor that value in each other? How often do we as humans create absolutely rubbish reasons to excuse the injustice we show one another? We use race, culture, nationality, gender, wealth, class, and many other outrageous reasons to excuse the fact that we fail to recognize the value in one another that God has given us and to excuse the injustice that we show other people. We need to go and turn away from our lives of sin. Because the Bible makes clear that all people, for example, no matter their skin color or ethnicity, have equal opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. All people are equally made in the image of God and therefore equally valuable in the eyes of God. That's not a political statement. It's what Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10 describe when they declare, After this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All people have equal right to say this is our God. Not my God, not your God, but our God. And so as humans, if all people are equally made in the image of God, we have no right to diminish their value in our own eyes. Another way that we see this injustice play out all around the world is in the mistreatment of women. Violence against women is on the rise worldwide. Discrimination against women is a real problem. And yet when we turn to Genesis chapter 1, it makes clear that both man and woman were made in the image of God. In verses 28 and 29, they both received God's blessings together, and they both received God's commands together. The justice of God as laid out in Genesis does not denote an inferiority. In fact, it shows us a picture of harmony and partnership of shared value and shared calling, of shared purposes and shared relationship with God. Finally, because our worth is not, dita- because our worth is not dictated by any human measure, but the intrinsic value he has placed on our life by creating us, God's justice does not rely on any human understanding of attainment, achievement, wealth, fame, success, or power. And while so often we see the wealthy and the powerful seek to avoid justice and live lives where they dictate what happens and no one can touch them, ultimately we know that all people will equally face judgment under the King of Heaven. Equally, 
while the world around us is full of injustice between rich and poor, where I can take a sip of water whenever my mouth feels dry. And yet there are those in Syria who are dying of cholera because they are drinking water from a river that we have polluted and made deadly. That injustice has no place in the kingdom of God. Poverty and suffering are not part of God's justice. Neither are greed, vanity, or selfishness. And when we reflect on this, and as I look with my kind of history background, it should come as no surprise that often when we see systems of injustice and oppression throughout history, they begin by undermining the very humanity of the victims. Because if we recognize each other's humanity, value as being created in the image of God, it should be impossible for us to treat each other with anything less than the justice of God. Now these are complicated issues and I'm not an expert and I've not even begun to do them justice in this talk. And so I'd, I just want to encourage us all as I've been doing and am continuing to do to go on a journey with God of finding out more about what his justice looks like and what his calling for us to be a part of that is. But I do want to end by imploring us that we have a duty not just to live just lives ourselves, but like Jesus did, to fight for and demonstrate the justice of God in an entirely unjust world. Jesus said this, quoting an Old Testament prophecy, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, that sounds to me like someone who has come to bring the perfect justice of God to all those suffering injustice right now. And as his disciples, we have the same call. And as his disciples we have received the same power of the Holy Spirit through which to fulfill that call. And we weren't given that Holy Spirit so that we could hide together in this place or so that we could go out and build little kingdoms for ourselves where things are done just how we'd like. I truly believe that we were given the power of the Holy Spirit that each of us can step out into a world full of injustice and bring and proclaim and demonstrate the justice of the King of Heaven wherever we go. Because we don't do it in our own name or according to our own power, but according to the word and character of the King, who is justice, who is righteous, who is without blemish. So as we end, I'd like to invite the band to come up. As we end, let's start by acknowledging and asking the Holy Spirit to help show us where we ourselves have been unjust people. Because it's only when we start to confront and come to terms with 
our own injustice, that we can begin to represent the justice of God. And let's ask God, as he raises the bar in so many other areas of our lives, to raise the bar of what we stand for in terms of justice in this world, to give us the courage to challenge the authorities and powers that stand for injustice, and to represent the king of justice wherever we go. It's gonna be hard, and we in our own power will never ever get it done. But we're working and moving in the power of God with the promise that ultimate victory will come in the form of Jesus.